Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25. Here's to the winning combination for 2023, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Arvidsson off his skate to his stick. The other right on. Big rebound. They score. Capricorn. Welcome to L.A. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Adrian Kempe turning the corner into the zone. Feeds Byfield down the wing. Sandering. Score! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. We're talking numbers today, gang. Defensive numbers, new guy numbers, why you should care numbers, why you shouldn't care numbers. And anytime we talk numbers, we bring in our number one numbers guy, Ed Egros. Joining me now, Ed Egros from Bally Sports West. Bally Sports, Bally Sports West. I've lost all track of any and all of the above is appropriate. Fair enough. Uh, How are you doing today, Ed? I'm doing well. Doing very well. How's everything on your end? Excellent. Thank you. Um, This is the third time we've had you in the studio. This is number three. Yeah. No Jim Fox today, unfortunately. No Foxy, but uh, second time solo, one time with Jim. Yeah. Jim's traveling to Colorado right now uh, with the team. So, as always, Ed, we're here to talk about statistics uh, because you, as far as I'm concerned, I have claimed you as my statistic, personal stat guru. Um, it's it's very territorial of you. Yeah, that's ask. right. It is. Um, and we're going to focus right off the bat on Gavrikov and Corpusalo mm-hmm. because it's one thing for – I imagine what most fans – do is what I do because I'm an insane narcissist and I assume that my behavior is everybody's behavior. Of course. When a trade happens, I type in the guy's name. I go to Hockey DB. I go to Hockey Reference. I go to Money Puck, Natural Statric, any of the sites that are available. And I go, what's this guy's deal? Right. Like, who's this guy? But that doesn't really tell you anything. It tells you five or six stats that with zero context. Uh, so... Who are Vladislav Gavrikov and Jonas Corposalo? Let's start from the net out with Corposalo. Okay, we'll start with Corposalo. So if you look at just basic numbers in terms of ranks among goalies, those who played at least 20 games this season, there are some really good numbers here. So this say, is it based on his time in, in Columbus? I yes, correct. Okay. Yeah, this, this, <clears throat> this season, time-based in Columbus. Um, and you're only looking at goalies who played at least 20 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, save percentage, it's okay. 91.3%, whatever. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm going to be interrupting you a lot. So Go ahead. Uh, oh, yeah. When you shrug and say it's just okay, yeah. 913, yeah. I've been led to believe that this season that's actually fairly competitive. With with, with the offense increasing, mm-hmm. yes, th- there is that. <clears throat> I and, and this is one of those you know themes that I bring up a lot where, okay, you look at save percentage and you look at 913 and you go, okay, that, that's all right. Um, it's the other numbers that I think matter a great deal Fair enough. in terms of 
high danger opportunities or medium danger opportunities and how well he's saved those. And so, for instance, if you're looking at slot save percentage, that's 85.1%. That's fifth best in the NHL. Do we know how often that occurs or are we looking at raw percentages for right now? Right now, we're just looking at raw percentages, okay. but given that it's Columbus, I I, I think <laughs> I think the context Fair. is uh, already presented uh, fairly well as far as that's concerned. Rebound save percentage, that's 87%. That's third highest. Uh, to me, that's pretty good. And for clarification, a rebound save percentage is percentage of opportunities created off of a rebound that the goalie mm-hmm. that that naturally are going to be medium to high danger opportunities right. because they are rebounds and so with that it's much harder to predict where the puck is going to go uh rush save percentage that's 89.1 percent that's fourth highest in the nhl how does that one compare to other king's goalies do we know um do, do we have to do a quick I, I would I would have that. to do a little a quick deal there as far as finding uh, that's right. Some, we'll look into intel, it later. but yeah, we that. look into it later. It's <laughs> that next tangent you have, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll try and find some intel there. Uh, but still, as far as rush save percentage goes, I mean, again, that's also really good, and I think that one matters a great deal in terms of context because how often are the Kings going to be facing the rush? That's something to think about in terms of its overall importance. And then goals saved above expected uh, per 60 minutes. That's at 0.12. That's ninth highest in the NHL. To me, that's more context neutral in terms of, you know, any and all kinds of shots that he's going to face. How well does he save those? And you look at all of these numbers, you put them all together and you go, on the one hand, I think these are stellar numbers. This to me shows why he was traded for. Yet on the other hand, and, you know, this is the tricky part in this equation when you are trading for a netminder, things get really volatile. It is really hard to predict from one game to the next, much less one season to the next, what exactly you're going to get. And so while these numbers are very much encouraging, at the same time, you do have to take them with a grain of salt because they're not the most predictive in the world. So as we were talking about that, I just pulled up a season report on uh, on all the teams. Mm-hmm. Columbus second only to Anaheim in Corsi against per 60, Fenwick against per 60, shot, shots right. against per 60. Once <laughs> Scoreboard. You, yeah, exa- <laughs> exactly. Once you start getting into high danger, they drop a little bit lower than second, but not much. Mm-hmm. So Corvisala was facing a lot of heat. And he was doing perhaps about as well as he could have facing that heat. And, and to me, that matters because the, the, it's going to be a much easier ask out of him in these kinds of situations. Now, in terms of, you know, playing longer games and playing more high intensity games, those kinds of things. Yeah, that's that's going to matter. And what are you made of in such situations? But in terms of the ask, it will be a lot easier for him. And so you would hope that these numbers are indicative of someone who was asked to do a lot and he came through for the most part. And now that burden will be alleviated. This is probably a question for a, a goalie expert, um, which are, it's a dubious title yeah. <laughs> because, you know, goalies are goalies and it's all magic and voodoo as they say. But <clears throat> I mean, the thought process is presumably this is a goalie who under unideal situations put up better numbers than LA Kings goalies who are operating under near-league best situations in a lot of cases. We'll we'll get into the defensive metrics in a second. Mm -hmm. I mean, on paper, at least, that sounds like a a reasonable strategy, right? Sure. I'd I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wasn't planning on asking you this, but now I'm staring at it. I'm curious. Where do you come down on PDO? Where do I come down on PDO? There 
in terms of its overall predictive ability, mm-hmm. there is something there. And so I do talking about pure regression to the mean. Yeah, exactly. I'll explain all this in a second. Case right, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but but in terms of PDO, there is something there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wouldn't dismiss it, even though it does have the feel of you're just adding a bunch of things together. At the same time, when you look at, you know, how predictive is it from one game to the next one season to the next, there's something there. And so to me, that's the value of a statistic is not so much how well it explains things, but how well we can use it looking forward because we're kind of in the business of prognostication, mm-hmm. and it's not a bad one. So for anybody listening who is unaware, PDO, which doesn't stand for anything, it's right. um, <laughs> one of my favorite details about the stat, PDO is simply compiled by adding save percentage to shooting percentage. Mm-hmm. And so the Kings predictably have a very low PDO on the season, and when I reference to Ed the regression to the mean, the idea is that if a team has a PDO that's very low or very high, over time it will regress back to the middle. Right. Um, so if it's low, it goes back to the yeah. middle. If it's high, it goes back to the middle. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Now, the Kings in this case have a shooting percentage of 8.27, mm-hmm. which uh, I can't see the numbers, but it appears from the eye test to put them in the middle, low at range of the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their save percentage, not surprisingly, is very low. Uh, it is 80 or it's 90.01. Mm-hmm. Um, which is third worst in the league. Right. So in a situation like this, not that Pete, like I want to stress stats don't ultimately mean anything. <laughs> like <laughs> the Stanley cup isn't awarded to the team with the best stats. The right. Stanley cup is awarded to the team that wins four rounds in the Stanley cup playoffs, mm-hmm. but you got to get there. Yeah. And, and again, the stats have their, their place. Um, so when it, when a team adds significant pieces and you're trying to look at the, overall you know the the broad picture stats like i remember reading an article that said if you're trying to use corsi to predict who's going to win the stanley cup you need at least a 25 game window right well the king's next 25 games will include some playoff games Mm -hmm. how do you how do you take into account significant roster changes when you're looking at some of these long-term stats here is sort of a mind-blowing idea when it comes to looking at roster changes. I'm sold already. Don't look at roster changes. Oh, players. come on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he lost me. All right. Well, it, let's think about this for a minute. Like, And, and this is a fun exercise. So let, let's say hypothetically you're looking at, you know, new defensemen who are coming in or, you know, a new goalie or say, you know, a new third line center, whatever. You got to ask yourself, okay, how much are they really going to substantially change a hockey game in terms of turning this into something quantifiable like number of goals scored or number of shots taken or number of shots prevented, whatever the case may be. Every hockey player contributes something to a game, no doubt about it. If you're on the ice, you, you are doing something, positive or negative. But over the course of a game, 60 minutes, several guys playing, the question you have to ask yourself is, okay, how much does any one player substantially change things? Because everyone who plays in the NHL is at least formidable in some way, shape, or form. Even if they're only, you know, up one game and then they're sent down the next, they're still contributing something. That, you know, clearly there's enough skill there to, you know, warrant getting NHL ice time. So the question is, how much can you really change in that quantifiable way? Now, over the course of several games, maybe these things start to add up in terms of number of goals scored, 
number of shots taken, number of shots prevented, all of that good stuff. But I think when you look at roster changes, yeah, they matter. But at the same time, because of the structure of the NHL, where you have that hard cap and you have so many guys on the ice during the course of a 60-minute hockey game, I don't think that any one roster change, barring a superstar, is going to change things that drastically if you're looking at, say, you know, one game, one week, whatever it is. Now, these things can matter at the end because ultimately you're trying to go after, say, Stanley Cup playoff games where that one player comes through in the clutch and partially that's what you're trading for is, you know, having someone sort of come in and make that game-winning save or make that game-winning goal, whatever. But it's also really difficult to say that this one roster move is going to have tremendous changes. Maybe it can happen, but likelier than not, these are small moves that we're looking at to where, if, if we're taking the Kings, for example, what we have up to this point is a pretty good sample size of what we should expect going forward. Yeah, there are going to be some changes. You know, I do think this defense got better, for instance, but it's not something where I go, do not expect this defense to be substantially better just because what we see is kind of what we have already. So there's two things I want to pick apart there before we get into Gavrikov, and we will. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the first one's the easiest, which is I just want to reset this one topic because I do it every time we talk about stats, and I don't think it can be said enough. Sample size is the most important thing, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So I just wanted to throw <laughs> yes. that out there. It matters a lot. Yeah, because I, I – I do it myself, even though I love criticizing other people for doing it. But uh, if you're watching one game and you're like, well, geez, this guy had a 99, you know, Corsi percent or, you know, 85 expected goals percent. It's like this one game. This is not, right. it's not what that stat is there to track. When you see some of the larger conversations about these stats, they cover three years. Mm -hmm. Like that, I believe three years is the standard. Mm -hmm. Right. So, okay. So sample size is the most important. Um, the second thing is I have come to believe after listening to Todd McClellan and listening to his players talk about Todd McClellan that Todd McClellan is an excellent instructor of National Hockey League hockey sure. strategies. Absolutely. He is considerate and intelligent and curious and well thought out. And while I may not always understand the decisions he makes – or necessarily agree with the decisions he makes. He is lauded by his players as an excellent teacher. He has lasted a very long time with a very high rate of success. And I fall prey to this thing that I see plenty of other people do, which is the playoffs and the regular season are two completely different beasts. Absolutely they are. And regular season success does not always translate to postseason success and vice versa. So when you're talking about not expecting to see significant changes with a, with a simple roster shift, you know, let's take putting Gavrikov in the lineup. Sure. The Kings already have tremendous overall defensive metrics. Absolutely they do. So adding a guy, they're not going to turn into the hockey equivalent of the 85 Bears just because they add, you know, a guy who's three inches taller than mm -hmm. the player he's replacing in the lineup. A bruiser eating up minutes. Like, right. All good things, and that's why they made the move, but... There is a ceiling here. Right. However, okay. then the playoffs come in, and now we're looking at seven games tops per opponent. 
And now we're not looking at numbers that are compiled over a rolling period of time where you're in Winnipeg one night, St. Louis the next night, back home for three games, back out to Colorado. You know what I mean? Like you're now game planning. You're now reacting. The stakes have shifted. The stakes have changed. So is there any, not even entirely sure what I'm asking, but is there any expectation that, that changes to the roster will have a greater impact in or have the potential to have a greater impact in the postseason than in the regular season? It, I, I see where you're going with this in terms of, okay, you're minimizing the sample size, basically, when you're going into the postseason. Mm-hmm. And definitely, if you're dealing with new acquisitions where, say, opposition has not adjusted to, say, this new defensive pairing or this third line, fourth line, whatever, then yes, there's something to be said for that. Yet at the same time, I think you also have to be very careful because, you know, I'm certainly not taking anything away from from Todd McClellan, but you also have to, you know, bear in mind that there is going to be information, not that it isn't quantifiable. I don't know if I buy that, but I think you also want to be very careful that when you are predicting one snapshot in time, that you're not reading too much into things where if we looked at a 10 game sample size, then all of a sudden we'd be thinking about it differently, if that makes sense. So in other words, if you like this new defensive acquisition, okay, yes, this may be helpful, you know, especially in a seven game series, but it's also going to be potentially going the other way. You know, things, things can be highlighted. Things can be volatile. That's why we have sort of a, a bell curve in terms of overall predictions, But the likeliest thing that will happen would be sort of a medium kind of approach where, yes, it matters, but it's not a drastic change. And especially when we're talking about the Kings, you know, the star players at some point are going to be the ones who are going to be responsible for how far they go. And we're talking about roster changes that, yeah, they matter. And, yeah, you know, there are elements and philosophical approaches that I like here, but I don't all I don't see the massive swing of things where you should change your overall outlook on what the Kings can do just because of these roster moves. I'm getting way off track. I'm going to keep doing it here. You said something just now that I don't know that I've ever really gotten into this with anybody, but now seems as good a time as any. Sure. You said at some point the star players are going to be responsible for how far the team goes. Mm -hmm. That's a widely held popular can you know belief of course i'm not sure i believe it okay and this is a maybe a a wildly imperfect analogy but if i have a race car Mm -hmm. with the most expensive engine the most expensive tires and the most expensive driver and i forgot to add a steering wheel i am not going to win that race right and even a you know, bottom of the line, industry standard, whatever steering wheel will grossly and improve, vastly improve my chances if I didn't have a steering wheel the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, another example I always use is if I buy a fancy luxury car, you need the hood ornament to let everybody know that you spent a lot of money on a fancy luxury car. Right. But it doesn't actually make the car any better. Sure. Um, you know, the LA Kings 2012 run. Yes, Dustin Brown, Ajay Kovatar, and Jeff Carter, I believe, tied for goals, for the goal-scoring lead um, on the team. But Trevor Lewis makes the play to set up Jarrett Stoll to win the Vancouver Series. Dustin Penner, you know, 
fires the goal in the back of the net that Mike Richards whiffed on to win the uh, the Arizona or Phoenix series. Mm-hmm. You know, Jordan Nolan and Dwight King, Matt Green, right? Like, not stars. Right. Um, I, I don't know what the it, point of my rant there was, well, but just the idea that that the bulk of the roster is just as important as the peak of the roster. The way that I would answer it is you know, supporting cast absolutely matters, you know, not, not taking anything away from that. But if you're just looking at say basic wins above replacement in hockey, you know, Mm -hmm. you're looking at those numbers, which I don't have in front of me right now, but if you're looking at basic war numbers, then yes, you know, you're going to have the upper tier players in all likelihood, if you're making a run, uh, where you're having substantial numbers, then you have your supporting cast that are going to have much lower numbers. You know, it's just the way it is in hockey or really in any sport at the same time. You know, you do have to have the stars to be able to get yourself in a position to where a supporting cast member can make a play that ultimately wins a series, a game, whatever it is. So it is this sort of overall combination. Yes, I agree that you need, you know, competence uh, at every level. Um, But at the same time, you know, you look at all the great Stanley Cup champions over time. And you have those notable figures who also played well at the same time. And you did have supporting cast members who who worked well with those stars. Absolutely you do. And it is it is this sort of, you know, overall picture that you need for it to make sense. Yet at the same time, I think there's also a reason why there is a schism between the sort of haves and the have-nots or, you know, the top tier and the middle tier. And that schism, I think, at least has to be addressed or at least has to be recognized, maybe a better word, uh, in in terms of the overall makeup of what it takes to be a champion. Well, I'm not sure I agree with that, but we're going to move on anyway. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) It's a lifelong uh, thing. Yeah, right. All right, so let's get into Vladislav Gavrikov. Let's do it. Because great name, great goal celebration. And when he was acquired, I and some of my coworkers agreed Oh, he's gonna go next to Matt Roy. Mm-hmm. That's where he's gonna go. He, yeah, I think he the led. Gav Roy Cobb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think Dooley coined that. Uh, phrase, yes, he right? did. Yeah. Yes, um, it was trademarked. My apologies, <laughs> but but I mean, I think he led Columbus in ice time, right among defensemen. Yeah, I think so. And I yeah. think he was leading the league in shorthanded ice time, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it was just Columbus, but regardless, yeah. he wasn't going to be a third pair guy. It mm-hmm. didn't seem to me right. Um, first game he comes in, you know, he hasn't played in a few weeks because of the newly discovered ability to bench a guy for trade pending trade reasons or whatever. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Uh, but now in the last two games, he's slotted alongside Matt Roy and here I am being a big old hypocrite. These numbers are not meant for two games, but in 29 minutes of (laughs) even strength time on ice, 89.94 89.94 Corsi 4 percentage, mm-hmm. 84.78 shot 4 percentage, 80% goals 4 percentage, 90.82 expected goals 4 percentage. The system the Kings play and the way Gavrikov plays the game seem tailor-made for each other. They do. And, you know, let's not forget the Walker pairing as well. Mm-hmm. That one has also been of significance in terms of, you know, what they've been able to do. Um, you know, as I'm looking at uh, some of the insights here, uh, last couple of games, let's see. Um, yeah, his last, uh, three games, uh, you know, even strength time on ice, 30 minutes with Roy, uh, expected goals for, um, you know, was 
first among all the possible defensive pairings. And then Gavrikov Walker's third, uh, just 12 minutes uh, on the ice together, but that's at 79.5%. And so that's that's third among all possible defensive pairings. And defensively overall, even before Gavrikov showed up, they've been playing well, you know, in a lot of metrics. You know, it's been really impressive in terms of not just, you know, stopping high danger shots or whatever, but also, you know, really advancing the puck and moving things along, being really good in transition, you know, especially in the Washington game. You know, we were watching, you know, defensemen basically flying to the net in ways that we really haven't seen a whole lot uh, from the Kings this entire season. I mean, it really has felt like that, you know, not that, you know, not the defensemen haven't played well. I think they've played very well. Uh, But that idea of them attacking and moving all of the action forward and really increasing the offensive zone possession time, that to me has been that added dimension which has been really fascinating because that really wasn't the scouting report on Gavrikov coming in. Basically, he was someone, you know, a bruiser eating up a lot of minutes, you know, like I mentioned before. But he wasn't, you know, it seemed like the critics were not too happy with that move because it was just going to be another defenseman basically eating up space. And not that that isn't important, but it wasn't this idea of moving the action away from, you know, Copley, whomever. And what we saw is actually that's possible. That's something that they could do. And that kind of goes back to your point about if you're putting a skater in a new situation, are they going to change? Did they have these abilities? We just never saw them. And that can be really difficult to predict because we don't necessarily have games that we can look at and data that we can look at and say, well, actually, in this completely different situation, they know what they're doing. Certainly, we're looking at small sample sizes in terms of, you know, these overall conclusions we're making about Gavrikov or, you know, the the Kings defense in general. But the fact that we saw something that we weren't expecting can be a fun surprise to have. And now we'll see throughout the or throughout these next few weeks, if they're able to continue that. I wish that we could have more conversations with the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, the organization likes to have sort of as few voices addressing the media as possible and that they like to decide who who and when those voices are but Todd McClellan sort of I don't want to say he let it slip because I'm not sure how much he cares that we know it uh, it's he wasn't talking about anything secret but he he introduced the idea in a conversation uh, I don't remember which game it was but in the post game he talked about Dersey switching back to the right side mm-hmm. and talked about the fact that he might struggle with retrievals and I think tonight we saw Dersey in a different position that he should be used to but isn't and now he has to retrieve a lot more and that has to get uh, polished up then the next day at morning skate or at practice excuse me the media availability after practice he talked about uh, needing to clarify what he meant in that moment in the post game the way we have it set up and the way we started doing it based on who was on our team uh, is why we chose that guy but I guess I should have clarified that like it only happens in, in moments in the game the rest of the free play stuff is is a lefty going back or a righty going back and that's almost more common well it is more common than maybe what I was talking about last night and he talked about the one three one defensive mm-hmm. structure that the Kings play and and he stressed, although the one three one is not the you know standard f- set that the Kings run. You know, most of the time they're much more free flow. You know, there's much more 
improvisation and movement and players coming and going. Maybe improvisation is not the right word. But regardless, when they're in the 1-3-1, the point he was trying to make is that the left defenseman plays the left dot on that three-line yes. formation in the middle of the ice, and the right defenseman is the one back retrieving pucks when the opponents chip it in or dump it in. Mm-hmm. And he said that Sean Dersey, while he's playing the left side with Matt Roy, has been playing the left side of the three-man line in the middle of the one three one and now moving him to the right suddenly he's being asked to go back and start doing retrievals more often which is a skill set that he had not been working on all year because he's been playing left d with matt roy all year so now he's having to be responsible for moving the puck away from the goaltender like you were saying Mm -hmm. gavrikov comes in and isn't responsible for any of that all he's responsible for is playing the left side of that line. Now, again, they don't play the one three one every minute of every game. Right. But in the moments where they do, and you can see it when they do, he's a big-bodied, minute-eating guy mm-hmm. with a long stick who who tips, passes, breaks up plays, and, and takes up space. And, and can I add one quick Please. stat to this? Uh, in terms of defenseman ranks mm-hmm. uh, from his time in Columbus, uh, Gavrikov is fifth in stick checks. At 2.1 per game. Fifth in the league or fifth in Fifth Columbus? in the league. Okay, because fifth, yes. fifth in one team's defensive core is not Oh, no. That, no, I wouldn't, yes, I wouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> yes. uh, but in terms of fifth in the NHL and stick checks, I mean, there that's I mean, that's one of the reasons why the scouting report, you know, was so obvious in terms of writing it is because he's so good in this, in this particular area. So the reason that I assumed he would wind up with Matt Roy and the reason that for the last two years I have been turning my nose up at the Jacob Chikrin rumors I didn't know it at the time. As did I. Good. <laughs> I didn't know it at the time, but Todd McClellan sort of retroactively confirmed my argument because in the one-three-one formation that they use, with the responsibilities they dole out, somebody asked him, "Well, you have a bunch of puck-moving right-hand defensemen. Is that coincidence or by design?" Um, well, they when we came, the righties were that, and that's why we chose to have them handle the puck a little bit more and his answer was no when we got here we looked at what we had we have a bunch of right shot defensemen who are (laughs) good at moving the puck and so we built the strategy around them right well we've only since acquired more of those types of players brant clark will be here any day now jordan spence was just recalled unclear yet if it's emergency or one of the four they're allowed otto Celine is out there like, that's what the Kings do. We get right, you know, Matt Roy's the outlier, but he also leads the team in goals from the blue line this year mm-hmm. and is actually very good at that sort of thing, even though it's not his bread and butter. Right. Um, so, yeah, when Gavrikov came in, I just sort of thought, like, right, of course, that's that's actually the kind of guy we need. Yeah. He doesn't need to be a left-handed Jordan Spence. Right. Um, he needs to be six foot three. Fifth in the league and what was it? In stick checks. Yeah, stick yeah. checks. There you go. Perfect. And also 32nd in puck battle wins. So there you go. So yes, that, that's an element that you need. And and I'm with you in terms of, you know, th- this idea that, you know, everyone, you know, has to be moving this action forward, you know, and, and having sort of, you know, like you mentioned before, like that variety, so to speak. Well, sometimes consistency has its own skill and its own strength. And at least you have someone now who can, you know, eat up good minutes and sort of pulverize guys late in games and sort of keep, you know, opposition honest. There's a place for that as well. Not to mention he has a goal already. And so that's kind of cool. And a a dynamite goal celebration. Oh, yeah. Uh, But I do want to sort of dwell on the notion of his size, though, because 
you know, Willie Mitchell was another defenseman who was very big. Mm-hmm. And Willie Mitchell could throw a body check, but I'm not sure that the Willie Mitchell I remember from his time in L.A. was known for throwing, you know, board-rattling hip checks, right? Like, he had a really long stick. Right. He was great at tying people up, disrupting plays, and he could chip in offensively from time to time. Mm-hmm. And he's just really smart and good at using his size. I'm not trying to say that Matt Roy or Gavrikov or are Willie Mitchell. They're not, but... There's an element to that. Being, yes. being big doesn't have to mean, you know, slow or or, or, yeah. or, or, or throwing, you know, using your like Todd McLellan also referenced right. Gavrikov and said, that's what he's here for. That's what he does is to to play those minutes to heavy shutdown minutes in and around our net, clearing the crease out, play below the goal line, uh, strength, power, good stick. Um, and we needed that. Well, I think he's a powerful man. Um, he's he's a bull. He uh, when he leans on you, he's heavy. He's hard. He you got to use a lot of energy up and expend a lot of energy in a real short period just to get away from him. This is what I've seen so far, and, and obviously in some video, the quicker, lighter defenseman. If you roll off, well, then you got to you got to get away from him. You got to use your legs. He leans on you. We don't have. Uh, as much of that as as we would like, now we do. It's not necessarily impact, sudden, you know. You don't have to be a bruiser just because you're a big guy. In fact, that's probably, you know, more of a weakness because they know this. Mm -hmm. And so you can adjust your, you know, opposing game plan, you know, right? Here's the bruiser. This is what you got to do. And that's fine. Instead, just someone who, you know, plays the puck really well, who's able to lodge it away from possession there's a skill set there, and that's an important one, and probably something, you know, as the Kings are, you know, moving more, you know, in this analytical direction, it's all about possessions, right? It's it's getting the puck in the offensive zone and starting, you know, that overall process, and the fact that you've got, you know, one defensive pairing that may, able to, that may be able to do it fairly well, there's something to be said for that. Any other uh, dynamite numbers on Gavrikov that we don't, we need to know, but that we don't? Other other dynamite numbers. Well, um, even I'll take uh, you know, pretty good numbers. Uh, pretty good numbers. So, well, I mentioned the puck battle wins mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of you know what that means. Um, you know, I think time on ice. You know, yeah, he's 40th in the NHL as far as that's concerned. But I think that matters a great deal. Uh, you know, not just because you know coaches believe in you and so you're on the ice a good bit more, uh, but also the fact that you know he's earning this time and that he you know can stay out there for extended periods. Um, you know, being a strong man is not just about, you know, beating people up. It's also about stamina and being able to stay there for extended periods of time if you're unable to make a change for, you know, any period of time. So let's talk about the team's overall defensive prowess. Okay. Because there are there are days where I will log on to Money Park or Natural Statric or NHL.com or any of these websites, and I won't have any real idea what i'm looking for mm-hmm. i just kind of want to let the numbers wash over me and see if i happen to notice something that catches my eye mm-hmm. what i wish i had was access to sport logic numbers right because every now and then i'm sitting down next to jim fox or carlin bathe or, or hoover the producer of the telecast and they pull out this chart that's like yeah here's all these you know blue boxes blue is good red is bad yes and you know 
they'll show a head-to-head matchup with that night's opponent, and it's just, you know, defensive numbers, and it's all blue on the left for the Kings and all red uh, or pink on the right for the opponent, and it's some of the stuff I tossed out earlier, preventing slot shots, uh, clearing rebounds, preventing high-danger chances. So, and this is, again, why I believe that Todd McClellan is an excellent teacher because those things feel to me very much like structural Mm -hmm. matters. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does have that feel like, you know, defense is about, you know, your game plan coming in. Offense is about the overall skill of individual players and maybe even lines and and all that stuff. It it definitely has that feel though. You know, these aren't mutually exclusive trades. Like your offense can be aided by great coaching and your defense can be aided by having, you know, guys who are good at, you know, owning certain parts of the ice. It is funny, uh, you know, quick sidebar, how uh, different sports have different color coding mm. in terms of, you know, what's good and what's bad. And so like sport logic, for instance, blue's good, red's bad. But like when I do football stuff, red's good and blue is bad. <laughs> and so I, I, if anyone ever asks me for advice, like, hey, do you like this color coding? Do you like our data visualization? I always go to, can we all keep it consistent so that I don't mess this up whenever I'm doing anything? And there's always a reason, like, well, actually, red means hot, and so that's good in football. And then I'm like, okay. I'm, I feel like a- at this point, culturally, Star Wars has set the template. So can we all just agree the blue, good, red, bad? Like. I, I, it's fine with me. I right. like. I guess I don't even have a preference per se. I just. I just want consistency. Like that's that's my number one priority. Well, when you see the silhouette of you know Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader facing off, and they've got their lightsabers, like you mm-hmm. know the good guys, you yeah, know the bad guys, yeah, and that's simple. That's fine. Yes, blue, good, red, bad. That's good. All right. Um. No, but if you're looking at defense overall for for the Kings, I mean, the fact that they're number one in uh, allowing inner slot shots at five point four games. Number one in the NHL. Like, to me, that's about as important as anything because inner slot shots are just so dangerous uh, that no matter how good your newly acquired goalie is, they can only do so much against inner slot shots. And so ultimately, the goal is just to prevent them in the first place. And that's that's sort of my philosophy on it. And that the Kings have done such a good job at preventing those. And they look to have, you know, added to that repertoire and added some depth. I mean... All these roster changes that we're talking about here, they are depth-based to me. Um, You know, you're not overhauling. And, you know, granted with the NHL and the trade deadline, that's kind of how the sport works. Like, you're not making massive changes per se. The goal is for depth and addition, you know, from, you know, the smaller places, so to speak. And, you know, to me, the Kings largely did that. And so you're looking at these defensive numbers, inner slot shots, their first Slot passes, they're third, and so preventing, you know, slot passes from getting good shots in the first place, that's at 13.3 a game. You yeah. may not know the answer to this, but I'm curious. Slot passes. Yes. Uh, so Victor Arvidsson is very good at passing across the slot, yes. through the slot, but not necessarily to a man inside the slot. For mm-hmm. those listening, the slot is the area immediately in front of the goal crease. So Victor Arvidsson will be, whatever, 10 feet off to the left and find an open guy five feet off to the right. Puck goes through the slot. Do we know if that is considered a slot pass, or are we just dealing with passes to the shooter? For example, the pass that hit Gabe Velarde the other day before Mm -hmm. he roofed that unbelievable goal uh, over the St. Louis Blues. Do we know? Uh, You're looking it up? I am looking it up. I I think I have this (laughs) information. I'm not positive. Uh, Maybe I don't. Okay. I can't give you the exact answer. That's okay. Yes. I will look into this and get back to it. All right. This this is part of our Twitter uh, conversations, like the actual definition of a slot pass. Um, 
But no, I, I mean, you know, Arvidsson also sort of, you know, adjusting his game a little bit, uh, you know, as of late and, you know, being a goal scorer, scorer as well as, you know, a, a shot maker. Uh, you know, that's that's also part of the beast, I guess. Uh, but the fact that the Kings have done such a good job at uh, defending and preventing slot passes, uh, because, again, the puck moves faster than a skater. That they're able to prevent such things is just another sign that, you know, these moves are about depth. They are not about, you know, overhauling this defense in any way, shape or form. And so this notion that, okay, the Kings didn't get, you know, the defenseman they wanted because he's not going to be as offensively oriented as they would have liked. Well, you know, you I don't have a problem saying that, look, you know, if the Kings have the number one defense in the NHL, you take that over say, you know, another skater with maybe another opportunity to get a couple more shots off. But how great of a marksman is he? You know, that's a tough question to answer. There are statements that get made a lot within any setting, any environment, where if it's a bunch of people talking to a bunch of people that know what they're talking about, it's easy to forget that people listening to it might not. Now, I try and be mindful of that whenever I do these. I'm always stopping and resetting and and trying to get definitions. But Todd McClellan said recently, following the trade, I believe, or maybe it was Rob Blake. I don't remember which man it was. But they basically just said, like, we allow too many goals, mm-hmm. which on the surface of it is not doesn't require explanation, doesn't right. require further context. No, we allow too many goals. However, uh, if you are familiar with all the things we've been talking about here, for example, the Kings allow the fourth fewest shots against per game at 28.2. And yet... They have the uh, sorry, 11th worst goals against at 3.32. Mm-hmm. Now what is being left out of that statement, we allow too many goals, is we allow too many goals considering how gosh darn good we are at preventing, at preventing the opportunities to score those goals. Tone matters when you're making a statement yeah. like that. And so the, the tone to me is we're playing well and we're giving up too many goals. This just isn't fair. It's not a kind of, well, we need to do better at this. And I mean, you can always say it. I mean, you can always improve on anything, but it has less of a tone of, okay, we need to overhaul this system. It's more along the lines of, gosh, what we need a break here because we're doing the right things. And I don't want my guys to know or, or feel like that they're not doing what they need to be doing. Because I mean, again, you're looking at shot based metrics there's a lot to like about what we're seeing already. Goals saved above. Ex- I don't like the expected <clears throat> genre of stat. You are against machine learning. And and uh, we, we can talk about that if you want. But it's a conversation for a later day. I okay. just want to throw it out there that I don't okay. like it. However, I'm talking about goals saved above expected. Because right. this is ultimately sort of what we're talking about when we say we're allowing too many goals. Mm-hmm. Right. The Kings expected goals against is low. Actual goals against is high. Therefore, goals saved above expected is bad. Right. Like real bad. Yeah. Like real, real bad. It, it's not good. No. And so every move that they made is presumably with a mind towards improving that. Sure. And I, getting back to the playoff conversation, I, I, it is my fervent hope as a fan and obviously as an employee uh, that what we will see is a team that goes into the playoffs now with 
positive regression. <clears throat> yeah, with with whatever twenty games left on the schedule, whenever it was that they made the trade. Sure. That a new goalie that we said at the outset that that performed very well for a team not as mm-hmm. adept at defense as the Kings, and a defenseman who comes in and does exactly what the Kings want him to do. Right. That that when they hit the playoffs, if they wind up. And apologies, Jim Fox. We don't know for a fact that they're in the playoffs yet. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Um, but if they come up against a team like Edmonton, mm-hmm. who improved their own defense. Like I've, I've said a number of different places, I'm most concerned with the change the Edmonton Oilers made. Okay. Because in my mind, Ekholm is the kind of player that Edmonton has never actually gone out and acquired. It's been, uh, I don't know, 15 to 20 years sure. since they thought about having a serious player on the blue line year in and year out MVP level forward talent, no goalies, no defensemen. Right. It's the race car with no steering wheel. Like Mm -hmm. I said, sure. Most expensive engine out there. Awesome tires that can Mm -hmm. handle traction and, you know, at speeds you wouldn't believe of. Oh wait, we forgot a steering wheel. we got no windshield and Mm -hmm. you know, like whatever. A a team that they shouldn't have won the West last year, but certainly I mean that was that was as good of a shot as they've had, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's the best shot that they're going to have with this window. And and to your point earlier, one player may not be enough to tilt the numbers. Matthias Ekholm goes a long way mm-hmm. towards fixing some of their holes. So sure. when I see a potential matchup, I don't know what to think of Seattle. They're too new. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Sure, um, Vegas. It, it, I have a whole host of feelings about Vegas that are now. Cl- Further clouded by the inclusion of Jonathan Quick on their roster. Right. But Edmonton I can look at and I can go, okay, we know what, what the Kings did against the Edmonton Oilers without Drew Doughty and Victor Arvidsson. Now they have Matias Ekholm. Mm-hmm. Now we actually might get a situation where the best players are going to be, you know, the key to success and, and or, or failure. I feel much more comfortable now with the with the – Rhythm section of the LA Kings, occasionally what I call the defense and the goaltending. I like that. I like um, that. Now that I feel like the Kings have sort of solidified the rhythm section, now we can watch the you know the lead singers and the lead guitar players wail on each other for seven games. It, but even then, like look look at the lead singers for the Kings this year. I mean, I think we could all agree that even that has stepped up, and it should. Yeah. You know, but I mean, look at Viala's assist numbers, for instance. I mean, they're they're through the roof. You know. Velarde has played really well, you know, Kopitar, you know, he's his usual self. Like to me, that that that's part of why, you know, we're talking about the Kings way more seriously now than we did say this time last year is because those star players, I think, have taken things on to another level. If that trade hadn't happened and I hadn't texted you and said, hey, man, you want to like focus on these two guys? Yeah. The direction that this conversation would have been going for the last 43 minutes would have been mostly about Quentin Byfield. And the idea that players can positively impact teammates without necessarily putting up gaudy numbers. Absolutely. Because Quentin Byfield, Don McClellan has referenced it. A number of people have talked about it. I will continue to talk about it. Since adding Quentin Byfield to the line of of Andre Kopitar and Adrian Kempe, I believe they both have something like 16 or 17 goals each. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're in the top 10 in goals, I think, in the leagues, maybe the top 15 since adding him to that line, the line itself is scoring at almost four goals per 60. Like it's great. He has whatever, 16 points mm-hmm. as an, you know, as 
not that impressive. Right. But then you see the pass he made to Mikey Anderson and you go, right, okay, that's that's huge. Yeah. That was a solid play. Or or as I'm fond of pointing out, and everyone's probably tired of hearing me talk about it already, there was a goal Andre Kopitar scored against the Winnipeg Jets off of a faceoff. Quentin Byfield's on the left wing. Kings win the faceoff. Byfield curls around his guy, starts heading towards the net, or it doesn't curl around him because the guy had inside position. But big body Winnipeg player using all of his force, successfully putting Quentin Byfield on his tuchus mm-hmm. outside of the crease. But because he is completely preoccupied with Quentin Byfield, Anshay Kopitar is left completely alone two feet away from the net and gets a deflection and scores. Quentin Byfield will never get it, you know, on the score sheet for that play. Right. And even your plus minus, you know, sometimes gets a little bit too contextualized and then it it sort of gets watered down. You know, another sport, if I may, but I think this matters a great deal in, in terms of this conversation. If you think about, say, football defensive backs, and those who play well, those who play poorly, reputation has a great deal to do with how many targets, say, a defensive back sees. And so if you look at, say, a, a defensive back who, you know, let's say they had a couple of bad seasons and they're put in a new situation. And then all of a sudden they're putting up gaudy numbers in terms of interceptions or whatever. Sometimes it takes, you know, a quite a long time for offenses to adjust to say, hey, he's not the guy who we saw in seasons past, this is a new version. And, you know, I I think when it comes to hockey, you have sometimes those situations where, you know, the reputation precedes a hockey player where, say, new, you know, new line mates or new coaching or whatever it is can have such a drastic impact that sometimes it takes an opposing team, you know, significant chunks of time to make that sort of mental adjustment to say, okay, he's not this weakness we thought. This is a you know a new reborn hockey player, and that's something that you know is is hard for I think teams and fans to sort of make that paradigm shift in in doing is saying, okay, reputationally this is what we thought they were, but with new quasi intangible things, they're completely different, and. You know, this is one of the reasons why we're talking about roster changes. I, you know, I'm always apprehensive to say this, but, you know, sometimes new players in new situations, because we have such small sample sizes in terms of adjusting, you know, our ideas of who they are, sometimes that's where you can have, you know, different strides made. But ultimately, you would expect that, say, after one playoff series, you have that regression to the mean, so to speak, because other people have made that necessary adjustment. Sometimes it takes teams a long time to do it, especially in the heat of the battle. But at some point, the sample size becomes large enough to where you know how to prepare. Because I'm so fond of these these particular narratives about Quentin Byfield, I'm just going to do a real quick uh, recap here. So since being added to that line, Byfield, Kopitar, and Kempe, 4.1 goals per 60 for context. Mm -hmm. Zaka, Krejci, and Pasternak, 4.32 per 60. Robertson, Pavelski, and Hintz, 4.02. So Byfield, Kopitar, and Gampi right in the middle of them. Ninth overall among players with 275 minutes together or better. Mm -hmm. It's a dynamite line. Yeah. And so, anyway. I love Quentin Byfield. That's the point of that. No. That's the point of that story. And there is reason to. and, And no doubt I am not going to dissuade you from this. Perfect. All right, Ed, I think we're going to wrap it up there. One final, final, final thought. Um, as always, sample size is king. Mm-hmm. 
But if you have a player or players who, on the surface of it, might fall down in one statistical category, but overall, the total impact is positive, Mm -hmm. where do we put that? How much do we weight overall impact? Like, you know, I... Sorry, I'm all over the place today. Um, one of the things that I like to think about team construction is as, as a recipe rather than as um, an equation. So, like, sure. you know, you don't take a guy whose rating is 50, add it to a guy whose rating is 48, and add it to another guy whose rating is 50 and go, ah, my team is worth 148. Right. I say, no, it's a recipe. Sometimes these two mm-hmm. 50s are going to cancel each other right out. Sometimes they're going to complement each other. And so, you know, you can't always replace chocolate chips with – um, raisins, sometimes you can. Well, and, and look, there are data scientists who I have the utmost respect for who also attack these same problems this exact same way. Um, you know, if you're if you're only thinking about offense on your hockey team, then bad things are going to happen to your hockey team. And if you're only looking at you know goals and preventing you know inner slot shots and all of that stuff, there's a lot more that you have to factor in. And so, as long as those weaknesses are not so overwhelming that they can't have band-aids, then it's okay. You're you're trying to figure out how to put this puzzle together. And, you know, it isn't just an equation, though I think they serve purposes. I think they matter. But I'm also with you in that, yes, you know, every hockey player is going to come in and have strengths and weaknesses. Everyone's going to have that. The question is, can you adjust for those weaknesses and mask them in some way, shape, or form? And can you highlight those strengths to where they are basically going to remain strengths and there's no real way to, quote unquote, defend them? That, to me, is you know what a general manager is trying to do and what a head coach is trying to do through tutelage and you know the right line moves. It's possible. It's, you know, that's that's how this works is you just do it better than everyone else does through, you know, the grind of a season. And, you know, can can the Kings do it? Well, you know, some of these moves have, you know look to be good ones. Uh, but I also, you know, like I mentioned before, when it comes to goaltending, you got to be careful because these things are volatile. And, you know, when it comes to defense, maybe it's a little bit less predictive from one game to the next, but at least you like the moves. Eddie Gross, where can people find your work? At Ed with sports on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and we'll also have some uh, stuff from Bally Sports uh, coming up real soon. I imagine we'll see you. We'll see you smiling face talking about the LA Kings when the playoffs roll around as well. With a tie on. <laughs> Fancy. <laughs> Ed, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you.